Good morning. Welcome to each and every one of you who are here today. We're glad that uh, so many of you were able to be here. We're glad for those who are able to join us online. Um, you know, there's so much going on in life that uh, we've got to stay connected however we can. And so we thank the Lord for uh, the ability to be together, for the ability to be uh, uh, tuning in remotely as we need to, uh, as things change in our daily lives. So, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as it was said, we have been looking at the book of Acts, right? It's a, an interesting book. It's not always the easiest book to study, kind of like looking at uh, this little word cloud here. Those are a lot of things that come up in the book of Acts, and uh, it's just a scrambled bunch of words if you're not careful, right? It takes a little bit of sorting through, and and and, and the book of Acts in particular can, can cause that because... Uh, uh, during the history of the events of the Bible, right? The Lord had been working with the nation of Israel. He gave them uh, his word and the commands and ordinances that they were keeping. And two thirds of our scriptures are filled with those. And then the Lord Jesus came fulfilling all the pictures and predictions to be the savior of the world and instituted a new covenant. And that is the age that we are in the church and Going from that old covenant to the new, there was a season of transition. And so we see a lot of things going on, and it's it's a recorded history of the things that happened. But some of the, because of the transitionary period, some of the things that are going on in the early part of the book of Acts fade away, and the word of God starts reaching out into new places and a lot of questions come up. And so uh, um, as we look into this book, it needs some good study and some time to make sure that we're understanding what's going on there correctly. Because some of it is descriptive. This is what happened. Some of it is prescriptive. This is what ought to happen, not just then, but today also. Which are which? And this is where we get into some, some uh, much-needed discussion not only today, but that's actually what happened in the story that we're going to be looking at today in the book of Acts, right? And so uh, that is where we find ourselves in the book of Acts. Now, let me just say a couple of things, right? We see at the very beginning of this book, the birth of the church, right? This is where Jesus was leaving, and we're going to, um, why don't we just go back a couple of no, let me, we'll catch up. We'll catch up to that, right? We see the birth of the church where Jesus ascended back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit back down to fill and dwell in those who believed in Jesus Christ. And from that beginning point, they began to carry the message that Jesus commanded them to take to the whole world and others began to join them and the church began to grow. And just like in our own lives, Right? We have growing pains sometimes. Right? It's a good thing that we're growing, but sometimes it causes some pains along the way. And, and this is one of the scenes we find in this chapter we're going to look at today. There's some growing pains. And, and I put this verse up here because uh, Jesus predicted that these things would happen. Right? So Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 16 to Peter. And uh, Peter had just made this great confession of who the Lord was. And in response to that, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, I also say to you, you are Peter, which means like a little rock or a stone. But he says, and on this, on this rock, speaking of himself, right? Jesus is like a mountain and Peter is this little rock, a stone, right? So he says, yes, Peter, you're, you're rocky, right? But on this rock myself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right, so Jesus made a prediction, a promise. He said, I am going to build my church. Meaning all those who have come by faith to Jesus Christ and have called out of this world to himself. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will be a resistance. Satan and all of his forces will try to prevent this growth of the church. But Jesus said, listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we're going to see how this dynamic, this spiritual battle 
is being played out in the scene we're going to see today. Now, there's another verse that Jesus spoke a few chapters before that in Matthew 12, 25. And um, he had been gaining much popularity amongst the masses of people as he would teach and as he would do miracles and heal people. And uh, the religious leaders were jealous. And so they began to accuse him of being uh, doing these things by Beelzebub or, or through the power of Satan himself. And Jesus, in his response, defending uh, what he was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit, not from Satan, he said, listen, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He said, this doesn't make sense. Satan wouldn't go around casting out his own demons from people. He'd be working against himself. A kingdom that works that way will not stand. Any house divided against itself will not stand. And so Satan, in working against the church, the gates of hell, right? He knows that if he can't successfully prevent what God is doing from without, if he can somehow stir up division from within, maybe he'll have success at helping us to self-destruct. But Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail. And so the battle goes on. God is, is not preventing that resistance from the evil one, but he is granting victory along the way. And uh, we are going to see how the Lord worked in the church at a, at a place of real potential division. Uh, here's the church. Well, it's, it's a building, right? Uh, we know that the church is not a building. It's the people. And we gather in a building sometimes, right? And that's why we call this place a chapel, not a church, because we don't want to confuse that. But it does confuse people just the same because that's not a popular word anymore. But uh, the rift was beginning because most of the people who began in the church were Jewish. And they understood each other. They had a common heritage. They, they, they all had been studying the word of God. And so as they began to see that Jesus was the true Messiah, the predicted savior of the world, and they turned to him, they began to find themselves separated from the Jewish nation in part, but it was still their heritage, but they were gathering around Christ. But now, as, as uh, persecution was spreading, there were Gentiles who were entering into the church, and they were very different. And as this is where the growing pains came in, as the two of them were now side by side, the question became, what does it really take for these Gentile believers turning to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there more that they need to do besides just hear that Jesus is? Do they need to become Jewish first? There's a lot of questions that began to swirl and it was threatening to really divide the church. Um, and if it had not been for the way that the Holy Spirit directed the Christians at this time to come together to resolve the issue, we might have ended up with a Jewish church and a Gentile church. But that's not what God's design was. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read that Jesus broke down the dividing wall that was between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he brought them together in one new man, the Christian. So that we no longer see one another as Jewish or not Jewish. But if you know Christ is your Savior, you are a Christian. And the rest of the world, they're not Christians. They need to come to know him personally. And that's God's desire. And, and part of his plan is that we who are in the church will continue to bring that message to both Jew and Gentile alike. But that brings us then to our lesson today, which... <clears throat> is about this consultation at Jerusalem, sometimes called the Jerusalem Council. That sounds a little bit more formal and authoritative than it may have really been. So we're just going to choose a different name. And it's going to, it comes from uh, Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles uh, open to Acts chapter 15, we're going to go ahead and read Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. Uh, we won't be able to cover everything in the chapter, but I want you to see the flow and what was happening as... Um, as we go along. So this is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. 
So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who believed, rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then... It pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from se sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with the greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we just want to say thank you for your word. Thank you that you've not left us to just our own reasonings, but you've given us something objective that we can turn to, to guide our thinking, to help us sort out the various arguments and debates in the world around us, within our own hearts and minds, and even amongst us in the body of Christ, in the church. Lord, we, we just... Pray that as we look back to how you worked amongst these brethren so long ago to help them to prevent a, a schism, a division amongst your people, that 
that could have done great harm to your kingdom, to the work that you were doing here on earth. Lord, we just pray that you would guide us today, that you would equip us in how we can deal with the difficulties in our own day, that you would show us from your word the truth of the gospel and your love for all men and how you desire all to come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, we would just pray that if there's anyone here today who is still outside of Christ, not knowing that their sin is forgiven outside of the church, that you would grant to them an understanding of heart and uh, that they would turn to Christ and find forgiveness of sins, even as these Gentiles did so long ago. So we just commit our time to you and ask you to guide us, teach us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so our outline for today is really going to just follow two main points. What is the issue that came up that was disputed? So we're going to look at the disputed issue, but we also want to pay attention to how they resolved the issue. Uh, Because uh, these are the, the lessons that I believe the Holy Spirit is laying before us this morning. Now, there's a lot of places and people mentioned in this chapter. And uh, I know that in times past, we say, well, I wish I had a map to show you. Well, I found a map, and we're just going to kind of take a glance back to, to, to talk about where we're looking in this story, right? So w- this part of the world is the Middle East, right? We've got the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt and Africa are right down here off the screen. And then we have the nation of Israel here, just off the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, right, with... Uh, uh, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, places that we read about in the life of Christ, all taking place in this. They say that this is about the size of New Jersey. So it's not a very big place, 100, 120, 150 miles at the most, depending on where you draw the lines top to bottom. So it's, it's not a very large place, but a very significant place, right? It's kind of the land bridge between Europe, Asia, and Africa. And so uh, being that there's so much desert out here, there was a lot of important things that have happened in world history in this area, right? So when the book of Acts started, we see that um, in Acts 1.8, at the very beginning, Jesus was speaking to his disciples just before he ascended back into heaven. And he kind of gave an explanation of what was going to happen. And we kind of see this happening geographically throughout this book, right? He said, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's going to happen? He says, you will be witnesses to me. Notice the geography here in Jerusalem. First of all, sorry, red's not very good for out there. It looked great on my computer screen, right? But in Jerusalem, first of all, and where is Jerusalem? Well, that's the little capital city right down here. He says, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And that's what happened. When the Holy Spirit came down, they went all over the place. 3,000 people trusting Christ all in one day, and the church has begun. But he said, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Where is that? Well, that's the surrounding area. Jerusalem is the capital of the country, but the region is called Judea. And so he says, well, you'll be witnesses to me not only in Jerusalem, but it's going to spread throughout all Judea. And so others who were nearby began to hear about what was happening. They came to this to the temple where the, the, the apostles were teaching, and they said, here's what happened to us. And, and more and more people were trusting in Christ in Judea also. Well, he says, you'll also be witnesses to me in Samaria. Well, Samaria is the region beyond that, right? As, and we read about this as Stephen stood up to witness to the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Uh, the apostle Paul and others began to persecute the church. They rejected this teaching that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Savior. And so the Jew, the, the Christians were driven out from Jerusalem and Judea, and they began to spread. And uh, here in uh, Samaria, we see a city on the coast called Caesarea. We read about how Cornelius, the centurion, was a God-fearing man who was seeking the guidance from God and how he too could know that sin is forgiven. And God called Peter to go with Cornelius' servants to go to him in Caesarea to preach the gospel to him. And we see that the kingdom of God is spreading. It's going, as he said, from Jerusalem, spreading out further and further. Now it's even reached Samaria. But then he says also to the very ends of the earth. And from there, it continued to spread and to spread and to spread throughout all of Europe. Eventually, Paul would go beyond this map to Rome, 
where he would uh, uh, testify not only to Caesar, but he would lay down his life for the Lord. And so uh, this is kind of the flow of the book, and we have come partway through. So here we are, back in this area. Paul has now come to to know the Lord as his own Savior, and uh, he was beginning to grow in the Lord, and he'd gone back up to Tarsus, where he was from, and he was studying the Word of God and growing. And the Bible tells us back in chapter uh, 11 that... When the believers began to get saved here in Antioch, I've got a circle there. In Antioch, they were largely Greek-speaking Jews and some uh, some Gentiles. They were not quite accepted anyway by the, the believers down in Jerusalem. We'll talk about Jerusalem next. And so uh, uh, they needed some help. And so Barnabas, who had been working with the believers here, went up to Tarsus and got Paul and brought him back. He was called Saul at that time. And there was a lot going on here as the believers were growing. And then that's when the Lord said, separate Saul and Barnabas to the work that I've called them to do. And they took this journey. And that's what these other arrows are. That's the the study we just made of the places that they went. And they completed their journey and came back to Antioch. And that's where we find ourselves. They, They came back. They were excited about all that God was doing. And it said they were there for a long time. That's a very obscure number. Don't know exactly how long that is. But things were going well, and they were rejoicing together in all the things that God were doing in them and and throughout the world that they knew of at that time where the gospel had gone. That's where this chapter picks up. It says now that certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. This is where I think the map can be helpful. When I hear down, you know what direction I think? South. I love maps. My first trip to Africa, we were working in a little village. They didn't have maps. This is pre-GPS, right? There was no Google Earth. And uh, all you could do was talk to somebody and say, hey, where's the school? I heard there's a school around here. And they'd point, oh, yeah, it's over there. Well, the road doesn't go that way. And so we had a little odometer on the, on, the, on the truck. We had a little compass, and we'd go a quarter mile and stop and cast another reading. We had to draw our own map, right? That's just the way we Westerners think. To these people over there, you go down the hill over there, you go back up the other side, there's the school, right? Well, that's the kind of world that they lived in. It says they came down from Judea to Antioch. Well, here's Judea, here's Antioch. But they went north, right? They weren't looking at maps. They just knew, listen, when I go to Jerusalem to the temple, I do a whole lot of walking uphill. It's the highest city around the area. And so we're going up to Jerusalem. Whether you go to Jerusalem from up here or from the south. See, I did it again. Up here. From the north, from the south, you go up to Jerusalem. But when you leave Jerusalem, hey, it's a lot of downhill walking. And so they went down from Judea all the way to Antioch. So they went north, some hundred some miles. And this is uh, this is not uncommon, right? People were traveling, doing business. These certain men had come from Judea, they came to Antioch, and they began teaching. It says they taught the brethren. It would appear that those in Antioch took them to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they met together and they opened the word of God, these men were teaching the brethren, the brethren being the Christians in Antioch. But little by... Now, here's the question. Was it just something they saw right away and they said hey listen what you guys are teaching is wrong and they began to teach something different or whether just as they went along the way they were sharing what they did share in common in christ and suddenly realized hey wait a minute what you think about this is is not right and they're doing some correcting we don't know exactly and this is part of the trouble of this passage um there's some time chronology as you look at other books in the new testament as to which one was written first to know which trip Paul made to Jerusalem is being mentioned in each of the books like Galatians and here to try to put the timing together. But the timing is not as important as the content. Uh, So I just want to focus primarily on that. These men up in Antioch began to teach and continue to teach this message. You Gentiles. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this was a problem. 
We just came from chapter upon chapter of how God was saving people, both Jew and Gentile alike. Now, yes, the Jewish people, when they, when, when they began to, to realize that God was doing a, 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 a work in the world through Israel, and they would commit to following the ways of God, the sign of that was that they would take circumcision. All the males of the families would have the, the, force, the skin of their foreskins cut off, and, and it was an outward sign that they were, from the heart, desiring to follow uh, uh, this covenant that God had given the nation of Israel so that they could uh, uh, worship in the temple, draw near to God the way God had established in this old covenant. But now that Jesus had come and he had said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me, and he'd sent this message out to the world, what is the truth of the matter? Does a person still need to become a Jew and say, I'm going to take up the mantle of the law, circumcise the people in my house and, and, and follow all the customs of the Old Testament law in order to be saved? Or is it just by faith in Christ? Now, it says in verse 2 that when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. I had to ask myself a question. Is this a serious enough problem that they really needed this kind of debate? It says it was no small dissension. They had some hot debates about this issue. And um, there was contention. And I have to ask myself, is it worth the contention? Is it really honoring to God that they would dispute so heatedly this topic? And I believe... And as we see here in the scriptures, the answer is yes. What was at stake? The at stake was the souls of men. Now, it says down here uh, in verse 5, as they get down to Jerusalem and they begin to talk about it, it says, uh, well, let's read verse 4. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Um, it says that these were Pharisees who believed. And I have to ask myself, were they true Christians or not? Listen, it's not always so easy to decide these things. When I go talk to a person and they tell me, you know, if you just do the best you can, God will just look at your good works. And if it's more than your bad works, he'll let you into heaven. Listen, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you want to get to heaven based on the works, you've got to be 100% perfect to keeping it from the moment you are born to the moment you die. If you break it once, you're guilty before God, unfit for heaven. You are separated from God because of your sin, because the penalty for sin is death. So when I hear someone tell me that, I don't have to ask myself, are they a Christian? Are they born again? Do they have their sins forgiven? The Bible says no. They've misunderstood. They don't even believe the basic teachings of the Bible that would bring them to the place of having their sin forgiven by God. But then you talk to other people and say, oh, yes, yes, Jesus was the son of God. Yes, he came. He was the son of God. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. Yes, he was buried. He rose again. He's in heaven today. Yes, he's the only way to get saved. They would agree with all of that. But then they would say, but you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Well, you can talk to someone a long time before you just happen to mention that. And they believe everything that you said. Yeah, I believe that Jesus came. Yeah, I believe he lived a perfect life. Yes, he died on the cross. They believe, but they've added something beyond what the scriptures teach. How important is that? It's very important. If I had a glass of water here, 100% pure water, it, it's been put through the uh, distilling machine. It's perfect H2O. But if I take one little drop of cyanide and drop it in, what does it do to the water? It's now a 
pure. Is it still just water? It's not, right? It's poison. When it comes to the gospel, how a person is saved, this is important. And Paul just couldn't sit back and say, well, let's be loving. He believes everything we do for the most part. He says, listen, the souls of these people are are at stake here. How are they going to know that their sin can really be forgiven? We've got to settle this issue, and they would not let it go. That's how important it is. Now, listen, we live in a world where there's a lot of ideas, and most of them aren't nearly as close as this. And we're being told, just be loving. Let it go. Don't make an issue. What's all this about Jesus only? And it's only, you know, you got to come to Christ. No, no, every, all the mountains lead to, to the, to all the roads lead to heaven. You know, whatever, if you just really believe it for yourself, you can have your own truth. You can have your own religion. Is that really true? The Bible says no. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this was so important. They said, we're going to contend with this to set the record straight. But, you know, these people had been influenced by these false teachers. And they couldn't really resolve it here amongst themselves to really settle the issue. And so they said, look, and I think part of the issue was this. It says they came from Judea. This is where the apostles were. It says, let's send them down to Jerusalem where the apostles and elders are. The 12 men who walked with Jesus, who, who God gave direct revelation to them of the truths that they were passing along to the, to the, to the world, were still here in Jerusalem. And, and as the church had grown, they had, there had been others added to that number who were elders, leaders, pastors in the church. And, and, and these men said they were coming from the apostles and teaching what they said was true. So now they hear Paul, who was a, an apostle, but he's saying something different when they, what these people say that the apostles were teaching. So who do we, who do we listen to? We don't have a New Testament yet. So he said, why don't you guys go down and bring it right back to the church in Jerusalem and let's settle the issue there. Not only because the apostles and elders are there, but these men, these men coming from that church are under the the direction and leadership and are accountable to that church in Jerusalem. They've come up here. We need to go back to where they're from and settle the issue. They're in the place where they are under the authority and leadership of that church. And uh, that's important, right? Listen, if, if my children were out playing with their friends and someone else's parent came along, I would not want them to assume that they can just discipline my children however they please. That's my job, my responsibility before God. And that's the way the church looks at it, right? There is authority in every local church. Just because some other church down the road decides to make a decision about whether they're going to meet or not, or whether they're going to boycott Disney World, or they're going to boycott something else, or whether they're going to support this this, uh, organization, listen, that doesn't mean that we are obligated to do that. We are responsible to God as a church, and we work together under the leadership that God has established here to do that. And so we hold one another accountable to the Word of God here locally, and that's the way the church of God works. And that's what the Lord is doing here. They said, let's go down to Jerusalem, to where the apostles and elders are, and let's settle the issue there. And when they arrive, it says they were received. They, they were, oh, we know Paul and Barnabas. We know these fellows. And they received them, and they shared about what God was doing in their lives, how he'd been working in these Gentiles, and they were excited to see them. But now, these Pharisees, who said they were believers, said, but listen, I don't dispute anything that you've said, but they also need to be baptized and practice the law. And so here was the contention rising up again. And so I love what they did in verse 6. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They said, we need to talk about this. Did they pretend the problem wasn't there and say, well, they'll just go away? No. They said, let's deal with it. They set up a time. They called the meeting, and the people came together. And in verse 7, it says, when there had been much dispute... They let the argument play out. Not that, not that it was a free-for-all, but they gave each of the two uh, positions a chance to share their understanding of the Word of God. And so the Pharisees had come up and they said, listen, here's what we see. I wish that had been written there. I look back and say, well, where does it say that? All the record that we have is that the apostles taught that we are declared right before God and pardoned by faith in Jesus Christ. 
But they, they came to a different conclusion. But the apostles let them present their case. And then they turned and they let Paul and Barnabas present their case. And perhaps there was a cross-examination because it says when there had been much dispute. Those are sharp words. There, there, was, there was sharp disagreement over the issue. And finally, after the much dispute, Peter himself rises up and he says to them, My brothers, you know yourselves that a good while ago, this is going back several years, God chose me. I'm a Jew. A faithful Jew. But God chose me to go to the Gentiles, to Cornelius. We talked about him on the coast there in Samaria. So that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And listen, God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by following the law of Moses. No, that's not what it says, right? Purifying their hearts by faith. Verse 9, by faith. Jesus, listen, God did not change the way he was working and say, oh, wait, wait, I want to forgive your sins. You've come to trust in Christ, but hold on, wait, wait, let me check the records. No, you're a Gentile. You've got to go become a Jew first. No, God didn't do that. He said God made no distinction between either of the groups. He purified their hearts by faith because God knows the hearts and he acknowledged their faith as they came to trust the Lord as their Savior. And so now he says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of these disciples, which neither our fathers nor you were able to bear? He said, look, there's 613 commands that the Jews kind of pulled out of the word of God and said, these are all the things we got to obey. No one could keep them. No one could keep them. And so he said, why do you want to go heap these things on them? You couldn't do it. So when you couldn't do it, God sent Jesus to say, listen, my son is going to completely fill all the law from his birth until the day that mankind rejects him and puts him on the cross. And I'm going to let his death be the substitute for anyone else who will come to him. And I'll count Jesus' death as payment for your sins. And I'll put the, the, the penalty for your sin there with Jesus on the cross. And we'll make an exchange to everyone who believes in Christ. What a deal. God makes no distinction because all of us are sinners. Well, no matter how good of a background you come from, no matter how religious you've been in your lifetime, you're not perfect like I'm not perfect. And God says, but if you will trust in Christ who was perfect, who died a death he didn't deserve to die because that's the penalty for your sin and for mine, he'll let Jesus' death be the substitute for you. God makes no distinction. Anyone who comes to Christ by faith, putting their trust in him, he will forgive. And so, this is Peter's response. He says, listen, I've been listening to you all. And I just got to tell you, here's my experience. Here's what God did through me. And it is in line with what Paul and Barnabas are saying. God makes no distinction. This thing that you're trying to do, you Pharisees, you're, you're clinging to the Old Testament law. This is, the Bible says God came to set us free from the bondage of that. I, I love the, 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 the wording in Matthew chapter 11. He says, uh, Jesus is speaking, and, and as the, the large group around him was turning away from him, and they were listening to the religious leaders who were trying to bring them back under this yoke, he calls it, of the law. Like an oxen who's got to put this heavy wooden yoke on his neck to plow the field, right? Jesus said, listen, come to me, all of you who are weary from being burdened down with that burden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to keep trying to earn God's kindness and forgiveness. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's his yoke? He says, join yourself to me. I love that phrase. He says, take my yoke upon you. Here's the way I see that. The farmer's out on the field. He's got the yoke for two animals. And 
For all these years, I've had my neck in the yoke trying to pull the weight of the law, the commandments of God, to try to please God, failing every time, looking back and seeing the course. I'm, I'm just all over the place, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to get on course, and I'm trying again, and I'm, I'm weary and tired and, and, and unsuccessful. And Jesus says, you tired of that yoke? Come take my yoke. Because over here where Jesus has been living, he's lived a perfect life. He's got the power of God himself because he is God himself in the flesh, working in his own life, the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and he says, take my yoke upon you. Come yoke yourself up with me. And I take my little old self and I take on Jesus. And what does he do? He lets me walk beside him. And so the course that he walks, I walk. Not because I'm able, but because I'm united with him, right? And so the perfect life that he lived, that's my life in the sight of God. And Jesus says, take that yoke upon you. Not the yoke of the law. You can't do it. He asks a good question. Why do you test God by putting a yoke on these people? I mean, that's a scary thought. Is it important the way that we live our lives before God as Christians. Think about what James said. The same James we're reading about here. He said, don't let many of you become teachers because you're going to have a higher standard of judgment. When you come before God, the influence that you have on others, God's going to hold you accountable for. So be careful. Don't test God by putting this yoke on these believers. They can't carry it. You couldn't carry it. And so James comes along. And he says, brethren, listen, Simon's declared to us, verse 14, how God did this amongst the Gentiles. And the word of the Lord agrees. He goes back to the Old Testament. He says, Amos, the prophet said this, that even the Gentiles would be called by my name. Right? He didn't say they had to become Jews. He said the rest of mankind, that they will seek the Lord. And even the Gentiles will be called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. And so uh, the, the prophecy there is, is speaking long-term of a future day that hasn't even come yet. But he says, listen, what's happening here agrees with that. The Bible says that Gentiles will be able to seek God and come to him and be called by his name just like we are. And as a result, he says, I judge, verse 19, that we should not trouble those who are among the Gentiles turning to God. Let's not trouble them with these Old Testament laws. Just receive them the way God has received us. However... He does say this, and this was an interesting thought. I had to ask myself the question. If he says, let's not trouble them and put a yoke on them, why does he give more instructions? He should have just said, leave them be. But he says, it's because of the picture we talked about earlier, right? There are Jews and Gentiles being brought together in this new relationship in Christ, in the church, and we need to live together. And see, as those who had the law of God, they knew all along. Listen, these idols... That people worship and they think that there's power from God in them. That's because the demons are working in this whole idolatry. And so he says to these Gentiles who are coming into the church, the Jews understand this. You continue with these things that have been polluted by idols are going to be an offense to these Jews. Not only that, some of the Gentiles who came out of it said, I don't want nothing to do with those things anymore. But other people who are still dealing with things that had been involved in idolatry, it was going to be an offense. And so Paul said, listen, or James, we should stay away from those things. Don't let the things that you practice in your life become a stumbling block to your other brothers and sisters in Christ. They've had the word of God, he says, all along. Moses is preached from a long time ago in every city. Every synagogue gets read, and, and they understand this. So how are you going to be able to come together in one body of Christ and function? He says, well, first of all, just stay away from these things that have been polluted by idols. The, the, the heathen world at that time, the, the, the Gentile nations were heavy into all kind of sexual immorality. And he said, stay away from that. You're going to cause problems for yourselves. You're going to make yourself an offense to each other in the church to continue in these things. You're going to be disobeying the law of God. Don't do those things. Going all the way back to before the law of Moses to when Noah came out of the ark. He said that they ought not to strangle the animals that they killed, but to uh, 
They would kill them with a knife and let the blood bleed out because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And he says, you should let that drain out. So don't, don't do these things that the people of God already know are an offense to God. It's not going to keep you out of the family of God, but you need to work together. You're in the family. And so he writes this letter saying, setting the record straight. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. These men who said they came from us, we never told them that. They didn't come under our authority. We set the record straight. And we're not going to put a burden on you to go practice the whole law, but abstain from these things and you will do well. And they send the letter back, not just with Paul and Barnabas. They send their own people to be able to validate what was really said there. And I thought about this. I said, you know, look, they had a serious issue at hand. We can say, well, I'm not wrestling with that issue, so I don't really need this chapter. But we still have dissensions. We still have disputes. What did they do that can be a help to us as we try to resolve the disputes in our own lives? Number one, can I just say this? Well, I'll get to that. They recognized that they had a problem. Listen, if we just put our heads in the sand, we're never going to fix the problems. We're just going to let it fester and, and let the division continue. They sought counsel. They said, go down and talk to the apostles and elders. Let's get help. Sometimes it's hard for us to admit we need help. But, you know, I, I, I get plumbing and I don't get along very well. But when I have a plumbing problem that I can't fix, I got to call somebody. And it's a little embarrassing to see them pull out all kind of gunk from the pipes. And it smells kind of nasty. But it's so nice when the plumbing works again, right? In our personal lives, sometimes we got to humble ourselves to get help. And it might be hard for us, but they humbled themselves and said, let's go down and see what the apostles and elders can do to help us. They submitted themselves to appropriate leadership, right? The, the, these men were from there. That's where they were accountable. They said, let's go back there. They submitted to appropriate leadership. They set a time to deal with it. You hear the, the argument came up. They said, wait, wait, wait. Let's call a meeting. How do I know there was a meeting? Well, it says the multitude rejoiced when they heard the story. So it wasn't just this private little meeting. They opened it up so others could witness the truth being brought out. So they didn't hide it. They set a time to deal with it. And then it says they all worked together on it. It says the church and the apostles and the elders. At every level, they were coming together to work towards the resolution. It also says they allowed adequate presentation of their case, right? Both sides shared. No one was shut down from being able to have a voice. They shared. And you know what? It was still intense. Can I just tell you, God's not afraid of our prayers. Sometimes we're frustrated and, 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 and we kind of hold back from voicing our, 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 our full heart to God. I do that. But I realize, listen, Habakkuk in the Bible, I love it. He says, Lord, what are you doing? I don't understand. You know, you tell me to go tell the people about the violence, but I don't see you doing anything about it. And, 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 sees, and so God comes back and says, well, listen, you wouldn't understand if I told you about it. But then God told him about it anyway, and he didn't understand. And so he said, that doesn't make any sense. Those people are worse than us, and you're going to come use them to discipline us? That doesn't make any sense. But then I love this. He says, but now I'm going to sit and listen to how you will correct me so that I can think about things the right way. You know, I see that attitude in these brethren. Right? Paul and Barnabas, they were, they, were, they were very invested in the argument, but they weren't closed-minded. They said, we want to present the case so that as we lay out the scriptures, as you share the wisdom and your insight by the Holy Spirit into it, I can be taught. If you come to the word of God with a preconceived idea and you're not willing to think, am I really right? You're not going to come to the right conclusion. We have to be teachable and humble. And they were. And it says, they were led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, it seemed good to us, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no other greater burden upon you. So they were looking to the Lord to guide them. That's why I wore this tie today. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Great verse for us to know. We can't just rely on our own thinking, but the word of God, and he will indeed guide us by his Holy Spirit. And then they made the announcement of the resolution. 
They let everyone know. So we can all be on the right page. We don't have to be upset with these guys anymore. We resolved it. And here's what the resolution was. And they published it. I think these are not easy to follow. Sometimes I have trouble humbling myself. Sometimes I have trouble going to someone for help. Sometimes I have trouble acknowledging I really have a problem. But this is what the apostles did. And because they did, they were able to bring the church back together. They were able to establish the truth of the gospel so that we could be saved today. And the job's not done. It says to the ends of the earth. And we're not done yet. May God help us as we seek to live for him. Lord, I know there's a lot more here in this chapter than we could even get time to look at. But Lord, I, I know that I live in a broken world and, I, I, and sometimes I'm the reason for its brokenness. And I offend others. There's, there's dissension, there's disputing, there's, there, there, there's problems that are created in the wake of our lives. And, and yet you have chosen not to leave us there. You've chosen to say, I placed you in one family, one body in Christ, one church. And, and you want us not to just say, well, let them go their way and I'll go mine, but to, to try to deal with these things. And Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help us, that we would be willing to humble ourselves, to seek the guidance, to appropriately place ourselves under the right authority and be open to what your word tells us and to be gracious one towards another so that we can come together again for your honor and glory. Lord, this is our church. Well, it's yours, but this is the, the family of believers where you've placed us. And we want this place to be a place of unity, not uniformity, but unity because we keep the, the main things, the main things. And the, and the gospel, of course, is the most important thing that you would have us to keep straight, that we would understand there's no distinction between the people around us. Lord, there's distinctions being drawn all around us in our society of reasons why we should cut people off, shut them down. But Lord, you've asked us to engage them, to bring the light of Christ to them, to love them, but not to back down from the truth. Would you give us the courage of Paul and Barnabas? Would you give us the, the humility of Paul and Barnabas to submit ourselves to you, to be guided by your spirit, to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, I just had this with me today. Um, if you say to yourself, you know, if someone asked me to clarify the gospel and how I can know that I... That, and, and we have a bunch of tracts that just so simply lay out the basics. If you want to bring one for yourself to study or just take some to share with others, just see me on the way out. I got a whole stack of them. Be glad to just put them in your hand so that we're ready to face the world. Thanks.